You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great. Oh, I'm on. Um, I was going to preach this morning, but um, actually Sam has already said everything that I was going to, so I just came to say hi, and now I'm going to sit back down. Okay. Um, no, but really, though, God is um, saying some really really exciting things this morning. Oh, the never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. It fights till I'm found. It leaves the 99. I don't know about you, but I just feel God speaking to me this morning. Um, I feel quite moved by the grace of God this morning. If you're just sitting here and you feel like what God is saying is kind of just washing over you but not really connecting, I'd invite you to just pray with me now. God, we don't just want to rush over what you're saying. We don't just want these to be words that just bounce off us but don't really connect. We want to feel the power of holy God speaking to me, speaking to you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word, God, that your, your presence as it already has been, would just feel so tangible in this room that you would say what you need to say to us and that we'd be ready to hear it. Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so for those of you who had the privilege of being here last week, you will have heard my very handsome husband um, speaking on uh, Timothy, kicking off our series um, on 1 Timothy. For those of you who weren't here, I'll give you a little bit of a recap as to what we're doing. So essentially, we are looking at the book of 1 Timothy um, and 2 Timothy. We are looking at the um, character of Timothy. uh, Last week, we looked at him as the son. This week, we're looking at him as the fighter. Um, And we're looking at who Timothy is, but we're also looking at his relationship with Paul um, and what's going on right now. So so Timothy was something like a, something of a spiritual son to Paul. Paul was a a mentor to Timothy. And where we're stepping in right now, Paul had sent Timothy off on mission to a church in Ephesus. Now, you might have been to a lot of churches. You might have a kind of not been sure which church you wanted to go to before you ended up in this wonderful church, Redeemer. Um, I can say with some confidence that you would not want to go to this church in Ephesus. Um, It was in a little bit of a mess. Um, There was disunity. There was friction. There was false teachings. The leaders had some serious distortion of the gospel going on. And so Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to advise him as he's on mission there. Um, And we step in at chapter 6, and this is where he gives Timothy some instruction. So 1 Timothy 6, verse 11 says, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What I love so much about this is that 
before we read anything about Paul's instruction to Timothy, before we get into what he's saying, Timothy, come on, grapple with this, before we read about his challenge to Timothy, first we see who Timothy is. You, Timothy, man of God. It's right there, right at the start. And something in the order of that phrasing already tells us something incredible about the gospel, doesn't it? Before, we've, before Timothy's even got a chance to hear what Paul is saying, let alone put it into practice, his identity is already secure. That part is already set. It's not up for grabs. We know that Timothy is committed to his life to God. It says it um, a little later on in these verses that he has made this confession in front of many witnesses. And the moment he said yes to God, he was set apart. There's all this stuff going on around him in this church in Ephesus, but he is set apart as a man of God. So what does it mean to be a man of God? That little word, word of, carries so much power. The definition is this. It's expressing the relationship between a part and a whole. God is the whole, and Timothy is a part of him. Here's some good news for you this morning before we get into any further. If you're listening to this this morning, before you've heard any instruction, before you've been challenged on anything, maybe that will happen, maybe it won't. If you have said yes to God, if you've said, Father God, I'm sorry that I've turned away from you, I want to look to you, I want to go your way, then your identity, just like Timothy's, is secure. Your identity is secure this morning. We are sons and daughters of the king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. People are awake. Great, good. That's good. In 2 Corinthians, it says, we are made a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. The new is here. It's already here. There's nothing to do to earn it, to deserve it. The new is already here. If you've said yes to God, you've been made a new creation. Your nature has changed. Your DNA has changed. We are now of God. He is the whole, and we are a part of him. That means you get to share in who he is. Our identity is that we get to share in his identity, I mean, I'm excited about that. I know about you guys, but I feel like I could talk about that for half an hour. I won't because there are other things to say. So let's keep reading. So we've looked at the start bit, you, Timothy, man of God. I actually want to skip to the last sentence before we get to that bit in the middle about fighting the good fight of faith. So Paul says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. This is a fight for possession not for victory. It's not any use being told to take hold of something if it's not yours to take. No one is telling the England football team to take hold of, I'm really sorry, Matt, no one's telling the England football team to take hold of the World Cup because it's just not ours. We We didn't win, we lost. It's somebody else's. I feel like that's maybe a little bit raw. Actually, even as I was thinking about this, I was like, oh, maybe call out a specific football player. And then I realized I don't actually know any of their names. (laughs) So there you go. But here's the point. You can't take hold of something if it's not yours to take. 
Jesus is the victor on our behalf. Isn't that good news? We've heard so much about that this morning already. Jesus is the victor on our behalf. He left the comfort of heaven. He lived as a man, experienced every possible temptation and iteration of every battle that we would face. He took on all of that, all of our sin at the cross. And there he defeated sin and he defeated death so that we could come close to God, so that we could approach holy God just as we are. He did all of that to make a way for us. And he claimed victory so that we could be offered this ridiculous, (laughs) reckless, unfathomable gift of salvation. And not just salvation, just so that we could squeeze into heaven, but on top of that, that we could have relationship with God, that we could actually commune with God. And on top of that, that not only could we have relationship with him, but that we're family, we're considered family, that we get to call God our father. And what comes with that? Family likeness. Oh man, this is good news if I do say so myself. It's really good news. This is about pursuing and choosing to step into what has already been won for us. Stepping into the daily reality of Christ's victory in our lives. Paul's charge to Timothy isn't to fight for his salvation. He's not standing on the sidelines going, come on, Timothy, try harder. Just be a better person. Just squeeze your way into heaven. He's saying, Timothy, recognize who you are. Recognize what has already been won for you and take hold of it. Take hold of it. And what's it in this equation? Well, it's the eternal life to which you were called Colossians 3 verse 2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So what were the members of the church in Ephesus focused on right now? What were they setting their minds on? Paul tells us, I think it's on the next slide, they have an unhealthy interest, Paul says, in controversies, in quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. In other words, they were focused on what was going on in the lives of those around them. They were focused on winning arguments. They were focused on money. (laughs) Sadly, God doesn't seem to feature in what they were focused on. But Paul says to Timothy... Listen, while everyone else is busy with their heads in the sound, focused on the here and now, you, Timothy, man of God, look to eternity. Take hold of what has eternal significance. Ephesians says that God has set eternity in the human heart. We were made for something more. You might be here and you feel like you've got relationship with God, that's great. Maybe you're here and you feel like you're not really even sure if God exists. But let me tell you, just as Joel Virgo was saying on that video, this is true, whether we believe it or not. God created humanity with this innate longing for an eternal God. We were made for him. We were made to look to eternity That's in our DNA, this longing for an eternal God and for his kingdom. 
And that's what Timothy is being pointed to right now. That same passage in 2 Corinthians that we looked at just a little while ago about being a new creation. There Paul says to us, we're ambassadors of Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. What? In taking hold of eternity and longing for the eternal God, we get to reflect something of eternity in the here and now through who God has made us to be. What a privilege, right? That's the mantle on our lives. If you're here and you're not really sure what you're living for, it's this, to worship God and to reflect who he is in the here and now. And that's What Timothy was doing in Ephesus, everything that he'd received from God, he was there to administer to the people around around him. He wasn't just there so that while everyone else was messing up, he could feel really good about himself and just be on his soapbox and just feel like, wow, you know what, Timothy, you are just performing so well. Shame about everybody else, but you are doing great. No, he was there to reflect something of eternity so that while everything else was going on, he could say, no, look, guys, look to eternity, look to eternity. But he was there to point them to Jesus. So we've established our identity. We know we're men and women of God. We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. We're made in his likeness and we get to be ambassadors of him. So where's the fight? That all sounds great. I'm not really sure where the fight comes into it. Well, firstly, in order for there to be a battle, there has to be an opponent, right? We know there is an enemy in Satan. The Bible calls him the father of lies. And he loves to cover over the truth and tempt us. It's his mission to distract us from our destiny and our identity in God by busying us with sin. C.S. Lewis, who is one of my just absolute favorite authors, I love him, and he's a brilliant Christian apologist. If you haven't read his books, that's your homework. Go and read all of C.S. Lewis's things. He wrote this brilliant book, The Screwtape Letters, and it's a It's a series of letters written from the point of view of a senior demon to his nephew, Wormwood. It's kind of written as a sort of manual on how he might persuade a man known here as the patient away from faith in God. It's a fictional book, um, but it reads kind of as a helpful insight into the tactics of Satan. And in one of the letters, the senior demon says this. says, My dear Wormwood, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. But there's no need to despair. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. So God has given us a new nature, but we know there's still a tug as we choose to pull away from old habits and old behaviors into the new that God has marked out for us. And it's not just so that we can say we're performing better. It's so that we can be freed up from the tangle of sin to worship God and to reflect who he is. So Paul tells Timothy to fight, fight the good fight of faith because he knows this is a battle between the spirit and the flesh. We know 
all too well that our sinful selves are tempted on a daily basis. Satan loves to press on our weak spots and draw us back into old habits. And that's not a joke, guys. This is a real battle that we live in. Paul tells Timothy to flee from that temptation. The message translation, which I love, says, run for your life. And can I be honest with you? The, uh, the efforts of just stop sinning or just try harder or just be a better person, make better choices, or even if you make better decisions, then people will think better of you. None of that is going to cut it in the long run. Paul tells Timothy to flee from the gossip and the greed that's going on around him, but he doesn't just say flee. That's not it. He's not just run away. (laughs) He says, flee from this and pursue God instead. When we come into relationship with God, we say, God, I'm sorry for how I've rebelled against you. Now I turn to choose you instead. That's what repentance is. We, we say sorry for our sin. We turn away from that and we turn towards God. It's not just moving away from something without anything else to go to. If we're trying to just get our heads down and run away from bad choices, but without a real sense of why or without a better way to walk in, then all that's going to end up happening is that we just keep running round in circles and back into the sin that we were running from in the first place. When we choose God, we adopt his heart, don't we? We say, God, I want to hate the things that you hate. I want to love the things that you love. I want my heart to break for what breaks yours. God hates sin. We know this. We see it throughout the Bible that his heart is torn apart watching the impact of sin on his beloved people, so much so that he would send his son to bridge the gap, to rescue us from that sin, to make it possible for us to come close. And the thing that really sticks is for us to daily come to God and ask him to cultivate his heart in us. I want not just to make better choices. That doesn't get me all that far. If that's what our sights are set on, then we're aiming too low. We don't just want to make better choices, but we want to hate the sin that entraps us and to love the nature and the kingdom that God is calling us into to get swept up in what God is doing and to want to be a part of it, to cast our gaze on eternity. Psalms 119, 136, David says this, I absolutely love it. Streams of tears flow from my eyes for your law is not obeyed. That's a man after God's heart, isn't it? I want to be someone who hates selfishness and chooses sacrifice. I want to hate greed and choose generosity because I see something of what God is doing. If my heart is tied to one, it can't be tied to the other. After I finished doing my A-levels, I spent a year um, at Nexus, um, a wonderful Christian musical school that I think some others in the room went to. Woohoo, Nexus! Um, It was an absolutely life-transforming year for me, Um, and uh, particularly in that first term, I remember stepping out of my A-levels, it was my first time away from home, and I'd come with a lot of baggage, and oh my goodness, God just transformed me. 
just in that first term, I met with God in a really new way. He, he revealed a lot of himself to me. It was a really precious time in my life, and he broke a lot of chains that I'd come with, and the result was that my behavior was different and my thinking was different. I was a new person, and I remember it came to the end of that first term, and there was kind of 50 odd of us, and we'd all been through that same process with God, and Kate, who's one of the directors and who was my mentor at the time, she gathered us, and she said to us, guys, you're about to go home for Christmas now. Remember what God has done, because when you go home and go into your old context, there's going to be a temptation to put on some old clothes, but just remember, they don't fit anymore, (laughs) and I had to really hold that with me, fighting against our sinful flesh, which essentially just means fighting against the physical sin in the here and now, as opposed to looking to the eternal That requires us to operate out of a place of truth in our identity and our destiny in God, truth in what he's done in us in that transformation rather than the comfort or the habit that comes up in the moment. It's a recalibration of our thinking, putting on new clothes rather than going to old clothes. They don't fit anymore. We've already talked about setting our mind on things above. Paul, too, talks in Romans about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that's not just about stopping thinking about bad things and starting thinking about good things. It's not as shallow as that. It's about who is the center of our thought life. Who is the focus of our attention? We're not just fighting our own battle. This isn't just about me and you. I think Joel said it so, so well in that video. We're not just living for ourselves. We are a part of a greater battle of which God is the cause and God is the general. He is leading us and we're to be looking to him as our focus and our cause. And this is really countercultural because we live in a world where self-care is number one. There's self-care books lining the shelves of libraries. It's all about self-care. And Timothy was surrounded by leaders in Ephesus who were obsessed with self-care. They were puffed up and they pursued a religion that served their sense of self above anything else. But we're called to put God at the center, not ourselves. And in doing so, we fight against a pattern of me, 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 and we make God the object of our gaze. And that isn't just a one-time thing in the past where we go, oh, I did that once, (laughs) it's sorted. No, this is a daily resolve to turn to him, to fix our eyes on him, the unseen, not the seen, to set our face on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. That same passage in Romans 12, Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Just as in every fight there is an opponent, there is also a cost. If there's no struggle, if it doesn't take anything of yourself, then it's not a fight. I don't know what it is, but it's not a fight. We're not just told to love God with all our heart and all our soul, but all our strength too. Let me just save you some time, some effort of investigation. 
it is much easier and much more comfortable to live with us at the center. If we are to live a real life of worship, to offer ourselves as living sacrifice, that means laying down what we would desire. It means laying down what we feel serves us best in the moment, what feels most comfortable in favor of what glorifies God and what brings him worship. And Paul would have known exactly what that cost would be. If we are to really submit to the call of God on our lives and prioritize eternity before the here and now, that demands us to be open-handed with everything. That means our comfort, our reputation, our relationships, our money. (laughs) There are many around the world for whom it literally costs their lives. I don't know if you know anything about my family, but I was born here, but my family were born and brought up in Iran. And I grew up with family friends, and regularly we'd get news that, oh, so-and-so is in prison. Let's pray for their release. So-and-so is being tortured. So-and-so is going through just crazy things. And in some situations, even so-and-so is being killed. That was a reality for us growing up. And sometimes I wonder if because we have the privilege of living living in a nation where imprisonment isn't on the table, whether we all too often forget the call of God in our lives to pick up our cross and follow him. In an increasingly liberal society, particularly in London, I don't know about you, but I find it more and more unfashionable to defend the gospel. There are several moments in my day, whether it's at work or my commute, whether I'm chatting to my neighbor, Sylvia, where I have to choose whether I am more concerned with numbers added to the kingdom and with the advancement of God's glory or whether I'm more concerned about being liked and being accepted. And church, believe me, this is a message for me too. It's such a killer. (laughs) But even Paul, and this is the good bit, even Paul from his prison cell was all but yelling, come on, Timothy, (laughs) it's so worth it. Fight the good fight of faith. It is so worth it. It's so much better to be caught up in the adventure of pursuing Jesus. The cross that we pick up today, no matter what that might look like for you, whether that means a cost of some reputation, whether that means some discomfort in your social circles, whatever that cross is that we pick up today, it is nothing in comparison to the glory and goodness of knowing Jesus now and the glory and goodness that we will revel in for eternity. Hallelujah. Isn't that true? It's a kingdom with eternal value and a God worth infinite praise. If we're settling for a comfortable Christianity where we're just fiddling about with the crumbs that we feel like we might bring to the table and just trying to duck out of the fight, then I wonder whether we've missed the glorious God that we're serving and the joy of giving our lives for him. And that's okay. That's not a judgment. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, actually, I'm not really sure that I have caught sight of that. That's okay because there's opportunity this morning for you to catch sight of that God and to get swept up in this adventure. And we'll pray about that later on. 
we've talked a lot about what it looks for us to, what it looks like for us to fight. But let's be clear, we're not doing this in our own strength. This is a partnership with God. Thank God. <laughs> I can't pull out every verse, otherwise we literally would be here for eternity. But God fights for us. He is your strength and your shield. Where does your help come from? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The battle is God's. He is the focus and he is the cause. He is the one that invites us onto the battlefield and he is the one that equips us for the fight. In fact, he has a history of using armies and soldiers when they're at their weakest so that he is the one that gets all the glory. You just need to flick through the Old Testament to see some of the crazy ways he does that, whether it's depleting armies in numbers so that they're minuscule in comparison with the opposition, or whether he's just like, you know what, why don't we swap out those weapons for musical instruments? It's kind of fun to read. I'd recommend if you haven't. But time and time again in the Bible, God shows us that what he really wants is for us to turn up and to submit to him and say, you know what, God, I just love you. And that the rest is for him to do. If you're here this morning and you feel like you're not standing up so well in this fight, don't be disheartened. You are not left alone to fight the battle. We don't just need to cultivate better behavior out of thin air. The Holy Spirit is our helper, encouraging us and drawing out the Father's likeness in us for the glory of God. So call out to God, partner with him, fight the battle with him. Last bit, we're nearly there. (laughs) We're just going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Yes, there is a battle. Yes, there is an enemy. And yes, there is a cost. But by the grace of God, we can know our identity and we can know the face of our prize, Jesus. God himself, our very great reward. (sighs) Thank God that we have him to look to instead of ourselves, right? When we look at him, we become captivated by a good God. The love that he pours out for us, all that we've sung about this morning. When we look at him, everything else seems to pale, doesn't it? And we just get swept up in what he is doing. The overflow is all that we're talking about. It's not just about, come on, just be better. No, it's about looking at God, fixing our eyes on him, and just reveling as the overflow of that relationship with God. It's just that naturally we want to be more like him, that we want to love him, that we want to worship him, that we want to adventure with him, that we want to fight and defend the faith. And while we're in this process of pursuit, we can know the truth of the gospel which is that while we're daily just resolving to set our face on him, while we were still sinners, that God set his affection on us. 
a God that moved towards us, that pursued us, that fought for us while we were still sinners. What a good gospel. Jesus, the author of our faith, our general, our victor, our defender, he stands in the gap for us. He goes before us and he has won. And we get to live in the power and the freedom of that victory. I would love us just to spend a little bit of time just reflecting on the Word of God. All of us this morning will have come at different points. Our weeks will have looked different. Maybe for you it's been a complete car crash. I'll be completely honest, the last few weeks have been pretty tough for me too, so I'm not coming with it all together, I promise. But the glorious thing is that we worship a God who sees us. I know that Rich and Sarah are going to give an opportunity for people to say yes to God for the first time if you've not had the opportunity to do that. But before that, I would love to just speak to a few groups of people in the room who I just feel we'd be just remiss if we didn't pray into what God was saying to us. The first group is people who maybe aren't sure of their identity in God. Maybe you feel you have been caught up in a process of trying to make better decisions in order to earn your way into something that God has already won for you. I'd love to pray for you in a moment. And the second group is people who just maybe feel a bit clobbered by the fight. (laughs) Maybe you've just turned up this morning and either you feel just in a cycle of sin that you can't win or you just feel exhausted and God wants to just remind you that he is your defender and he is your victor this morning. I would love to pray for you. And the third group is people that maybe you feel like it's going okay, but actually as we were talking about eternity and living for something more than just ourselves, that you've just realized you've just got into the here and now a little bit too much. And you just want to lift your eyes to eternity and say to God afresh, God, I want to live in adventure with you and respond to your call on my life. So that was three groups, identity, people who just feel overwhelmed by the fight, and those who want to just cast their eyes on eternity a little bit more. And I'm going to ask us to stand, and that's not because I think it's you know, fun to embarrass people, but because we're a family, and what I really want us to do is all play our, our part right now. So if you feel that you are being... Yeah, go for it. <laughs> if you feel that any of those just have spoken to you, I would love for you to stand right now. And if you're sitting, this is your opportunity to be family to these people right now. <laughs> this is so great because that means that you've had revelation of something that somebody else needs. And that's the joy of being family in church. So right now, and it might get a little bit messy, that's fine. I would love you to find somebody who's standing and go and lay hands on them and pray for them. If you want to ask them what they've stood for, that's fine, but 
God is able to speak into that anyway, that's fine. It might be a bit noisy, that's okay. And if there's not enough people around you and you feel like actually there's two of us that have stood up, why don't you just turn and pray for one another and share what God is doing in you? Let's do that for a little while.